Coming up this week, off screen. We meet the girl on the train. Flee from the greasy strangler. Declare war on everyone. Spend some time with the blood father. Get supersonic with Oasis. Watch Louis Theroux's Scientology movie. And look back on the life of the governor. All those to come and more, off screen. This is... This is off screen. Off screen. The latest film news and reviews. This is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. Ooh, welcome to Offscreen. I'm Van Connor. I am Case Allen. And before we get to the films, the reviews, the box office top ten, all that juicy news that we love to cover, we got to talk about uh, well, Mr. Hugh Jackman. He's he's made a couple of announcements in the last 24 hours. I've never heard of him. You never he? heard of him? Never heard of. Oh, he's H- huge he's the, Jackman. Uh, huge, huge Jackman. Huge, huge action. Huge action. Huge action. That's what it is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, wait, he's the Australian who isn't Russell Crowe or Mel Gibson. Although Russell Crowe isn't really an Australian, is he? He's from New Zealand. I would argue that neither is Mel Gibson anymore. Well. Well, yeah. Actually, yeah. isn't I think Mel Gibson, if you look into it, was actually born in England. Was he actually? I think he's actually, Mel Gibson was actually born in England, but, but uh, to Australian parents, yeah. but raised in Australia. Huh. So I'm technically gonna, speaking, I'm he's on Wikipedia, but let's hear about Hugh Jackson. Let's hear about Hugh Jackson. Well, he and James Mangold took to Twitter in the last 36 hours and decided to make some announcements. So, the third and final Wolverine movie, which is just finished filming recently, it now has a title. Have you heard this? I have indeed. It yeah. is going to be Logan. So, yes. yeah, I, I kind of like that. Okay. Yeah, I think everyone wanted it to be Logan or Old Man Logan. So that, well, it's based that, on Old Man Logan. It's, yeah, it's based on that comic book. Yeah. So the idea now is, well, first of all, James Mangold has then taken to Twitter himself. He's uh, he's published a picture, posted a picture of the, of the second page of the script, which yes. has revealed an awful lot. So for one thing, Wolverine's powers are now diminishing. He's going to be in chronic pain and self-medicating through the use of alcohol. Yeah. We also got a teaser poster from Mr. Jackson. And <laughs> you, Jackson? Action. Jackson. Jackson. Action Jackson. Action Jackson, yeah. yeah. Uh, so he's posted the uh, the first poster, which has now actually been officially released, and it's a poster of Wolverine's hand with the claws out. It's and all a, weathered. And, yeah, and, and a child's hand holding him. It's a really good poster. It's a good poster. You think, okay, yeah. does this mean X-23 is finally happening? It was it's, rumors. it's all looking good. It's, it's all, all looking, looking good. good. Yeah. We can't claim that it's not looking brilliant at this point. And it's got Patrick Stewart, and it's got Stephen Merchant and it's got Richard E. Grant. What could go wrong? I know. No will Praise I am God. in this Wolverine outing. Because <laughs> we all know that was the highlight of X-Men Origins. Wow. Um just a point about uh, Mel Gibson. Go on. Born in uh, New York. Oh New York, sorry. New York. I, I knew it was but New York yeah. or London, one or the other. But oh no, hang on, no, it's Gillian Anderson who's born in England. That's right. the one. There we are. I think that's why Julian Anderson seems to keep putting on that British accent and doing British roles. We should just do an entire podcast special about where people you follow are from, <laughs> whether or not actually. <laughs> oh, actually, nice segue. We can plug the podcast edition off that. There we are. So, yes, obviously, the stuff we don't get to fit into the radio edit. Uh, this week, The Greasy Strangler and The Governor, we're not going to get to fit those in. So, if you want to hear those reviews, more film news, our weekly moment of cage, which is always a highlight, uh, just pop along on your local friendly neighborhood podcast app, whichever one takes your fancy. Uh, we're all, well, not most of them, if not all, I'd say. Tune in, SoundCloud, Deezer, Acast, 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 iTunes, naturally. Just go search off screen, download the extended podcast edition, and after the end credits, you get a bit more off screen. And, you know, a little, a little more goes a long way. So let's do first film of the week then. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about uh, The Father of Blood. <laughs> Mr. Gibbs. Yeah. Who's back? Mel Gibson's back case. Are you excited about this? 
don't know if I am. Is, I it, an a- if I is it an age be. thing, you think? Cause... It's not an age thing. No, because I've got, what, five years on you, I think? It's definitely not an age thing, because I I love me some yeah. late 80s and early 90s, oh, and obviously no, Mad Max. The and... King. I... Absolutely, and then, you know, comments. Well, those aside, You though, have to put these things aside, Those aside, yeah. I miss Mel Gibson, the movie star. I do. Every time I see Mel Gibson in an interview or appearing, I think... I think I miss when Mel Gibson was a movie star. You knew where you stood when Mel Gibson was a movie star. Yeah, it's just him. Yeah, him as a star has become a taboo that's it. object. I don't now, care about you him can't as a person. Like, yeah, I like him as. as I an don't care about star. him you as a person. I want. I, I want Riggs back, man. You want Riggs. I want Riggs. I want Mad Max. You know, I want William Wallace back. You know, I want the man without a face whose name I can't remember. <laughs> Forever Young, dude. You I know, just, I want Forever Young back, <laughs> Mister Young, Mister Forever Young, whatever his name was, Mister F Young. I want payback. Yeah, I want pay- payback. Well, actually, funnily enough, you're in for a treat now because most of the movies we just named, the classics, they all come up here. So this is um, this is sort of a comeback film in one sense. It's half comeback film, half retrospective, with a little with a little dash of meta thrown in. So you have Mel Gibson. He plays uh, John Link. A, a grizzled, burnt-out man who lives in a trailer park, like in Lethal Weapon. There we are. So there's, there's a link yeah. to his past. So it's, yeah, yeah. So it's like in Lethal Weapon. And then his daughter, his, his daughter comes to visit him, and there are people chasing her, like in Edge of Darkness. I get that. So then they go on the run together, like in Bird on a Wire. And then he goes all violent and killing spree, like in Payback. And, yeah, so every Mel Gibson movie comes up, he has to protect his daughter from a bunch of, of deviant criminals who are out for... I don't really particularly remember what the motivation behind it all is. There's a robbery gone bad at the very beginning of the film. They're after her, and Link has to well, basically violate his parole to protect his wayward, estranged daughter, with whom he wants nothing more but to reconnect. Here's a clip. Dad. I'm here. Well, where the hell are you? I just... I know that it's been a really long time. I just... Well, just stay on the line. Um, where you been, kid? I... I left home a while ago. Yeah, I know. You scared a lot of people. I need cash fast. Just enough so I can get lost because I'm dead. I'm like this fly that's about to get splattered on a windshield. Does that make any sense? And he's using a telephone, like in Ransom. So, <laughs> that is such a loose link. <laughs> yes, but it is link. John Link. <laughs> but okay, so first of all, I I really dug this. Uh, didn't quite expect it to be as good as it was. I thought this is going to be one of those sort of those. Mel Gibson is a star, sort of comparable in terms of his modern status, someone like Schwarzenegger, where they've not particularly gone away, but we've stopped giving them movie star status. Yeah, well, I was just about to compare this to when Schwarzenegger was in um, the, last the Last Stand. Yeah, exactly that. And because it's a very desert-based film and very much a, a you know grimy action film, mm. there is a natural comparison point. But what you've got is a film that knows it's a Mel Gibson film that really wants to give him everything he's always done so well. Um, he's on fine form. He's still got the action chops. He's still got that grizzled comedy thing that he used to do, that sort of, I'm like a slightly buffer Clint Eastwood kind of a routine. Erin Moriarty as the daughter is uh, something of a revelation. She's really good. Um, She was in Jessica Jones. She was the girl that Jessica Jones was trying to defend all the way through that series. Uh, Hope Schlottman, if you want the uh, the actual name. Um, She's great. Um, She's something of a discovery. However, MVP trophy goes to Mr. William H. Macy. 
who who Bill is he is oh, Bill Macy turns up, got the mustache, got the slightly long scraggly hair. He is a trailer. Well, he's me shameless, so he's always got yeah, Of course, uh, he's the trailer park comic relief sidekick. Um, because the movie has something of a fugitive road movie kind of an aspect to it, he's obviously not in it very long because you know they had kind of have to depart him for obvious reasons. Um, he, I, I would see more of him. His comedic repertoire with uh, with Gibson is terrific. Um, really had a lot of fun with it. It was a stripped down, you know, down to the wire, gritty, bare bones action thriller that gave you everything you wanted from the Mel Gibson of days gone by. Um, he's apparently got more on the way. I'm very, very glad because after this, I want more of him. I want Mel Gibson back. We're going to see him as a director again very, very soon. We are. Hacksaw Ridge is, is next. Yeah. We have got some film news with him in later, but we need to we need to cover the box office top ten in pretty much record time. Number ten. M.S. Donny, The Untold Story, and I don't know anything about it, so it's going to remain untold. <laughs> it is kind of untold. I've not seen it either. I believe it's a cricket biopic. Uh, I have not had the pleasure. Number nine. Bad Mums is still here. It's still hanging in there. This has got to be hitting DVD before long, surely. Must be. It's been out for a good couple of months Six, now. six yeah. weeks, something like that. It's, it's, so it's only about three or four away from DVD release. Yeah. Um, funny doesn't quite make the most of its concept, doesn't quite make a grand point. Uh, Mila Kunis and Kristen Bell and uh, Catherine Hahn, good team up though. I quite like that. Uh, Christina Applegate as you know, salivating villain, t- suburban <laughs> villain type character is about as much fun as you'd expect. I laughed a few times. I really enjoyed it. Number eight. Don't breathe. Have you had the pleasure yet, Still? No, because I'm a student now, so I'm not allowed to do anything except work. <laughs> well, when you get the pleasure, you will love every minute of it. It is. I can't wait. I it, honestly can't wait to see it. It is. A, it's like Hitchcock does torture porn for you know the, the whole <laughs> saw hostile genre. Imagine that by way of Hitchcock, and you've got. Uh, don't breathe, which I love. I think Stephen Lang's great in it. It's got my boy Dylan Minnette in it as well. <laughs> my boy. My boy, yeah. dog. My boy. Number seven. Kubo and the Two Strings. You love this. I love this so much. Yeah, I do as well. So um, I'm glad it's hanging in there. I'm glad it's still getting some traction. Yeah, it seems to have found an audience, and that makes me happy. For an original property, I think that's something, in this day and age, really impressive. Number six. Finding Dory. This already had an audience. <laughs> <laughs> this, this had an audience, yeah. and, and then that audience grew up and bred and a ben, new audience. I meant had kids. Yeah, yeah, they bred a new audience, and that new audience are coming back with the old audience, and that's why this season has been around for 10 weeks now. Yeah. And this will be on DVD and Blu-ray soon. It's got to be, surely. Yeah. This is, this is going to be like Jungle Book, where it only leaves the top 10 for the sake of getting a DVD release. Exactly, to just make more more money. It's only got, I believe, one more week, by the way, before it beats the Jungle Book. Really? The Jungle Book hung in 11 weeks. What is that the record for this year? I've not been paying attention as far as... I'm not uh, sure, actually. We'll have to look into that. We'll look into that, yeah. Because Captain America's Civil War, I think, didn't scratch 10. We'll definitely look into it before the end of the year. Before the end of the year, we will find out. When, when the end of the year stats come in, I think it'll be an interesting one. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen. The on-screen radio show. And we're back. So, uh, I was going to say first review. It's not now, is it? Uh, it's the, the girl, second. It's the second. It's the the second. girl on the train, which is kind of, this is the big advertised one this week. Yeah. So, are we going to call this uh, Gone Girl on the Train, or is that what everyone else is? Do you know it? what? Funnily enough, that is exactly what I've been calling it, Gone, Gone girl, girl on the Train, because this yeah. has been built from the ground up, and it's very obvious from the minute you start watching it. Built from the ground up. Let's follow the uh, the Gone Girl template. The template yeah. In that way that we always talk about, uh, Three Musketeers was with uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Yeah, where absolutely. let's. 
let's replicate that formula and we'll just take another classic well, one. Well, this, and... this film was going to come out 18 months after the book came out, which is insane. It, which is exactly... Yeah. It's almost like Gone Girl was a huge hit and they thought, what, what else we got? <laughs> Funny about What else has got the word girl? What the book has... And then we got the girl with all the gifts, and it's like, yeah. this is just getting silly now. Okay, so this stars uh, Emily Blunt as uh, Rachel Watson. She is a woman who has gone through a broken marriage, and marriage has collapsed due to infertility, and her husband's then uh, successive infidelity as well, husband being Justin Theroux. Justin Theroux has now settled into a new life with his wife, Ms. Rebecca Ferguson, your lady there, and they have had a she's child. Sorry. I know. Oh. And she's, she's, in, uh, she's in Blonde in this one, by the way, for a very specific yeah. reason that I will get to. Um, he's he's now got a, a child with his his new wife. Um, Emily Blunt is not handling it so well. It's been two years. She's now unemployed. She's an alcoholic. She's you know down to her last frayed nerve, and she's basically finding solace in commuting to and from New York every day, and sort of staring out the window at what were her old neighbours before. And they are a married couple played by Haley Bennett and Luke Evans. One morning she spots Haley Bennett with another man, and then. Almost as if somehow linked, Haley Bennett mysteriously disappears shortly afterwards. And, well, in what can only be described as the worst timing ever, Emily Blunt then wakes up after a drunken bender, covered in blood, no memory of what happened the night before, and has to basically find out not only what happened to Haley Bennett, whatever happened to this this young this young seemingly perfect wife but also what her own involvement in it actually is his clip I'm here because I because I woke up um covered in blood and I had I had bruises all over my arm and um it's usually from when I've fallen and someone's helped me up my husband he used to tell me what I'd done the night before and I learned when you wake up like that, you just say you're sorry. You just say you're sorry for what you did and you're sorry for who you are. And you're never gonna do it again. But you do, you do it again. So the short version of this is that Emily Blunt's terrific. The film is not quite so terrific. Um, right, it never quite comes together. It really, really wants to be gone girl. And you've got uh, Tate Taylor who did the help and Get On Up, which yeah. I always forget he did Get On Up. Yeah, get on up. Um, but The Help is a movie I absolutely adore. Get yeah, Up, I, I think, was up. underrated. Had a great mm. Chadwick Boseman performance. But they are quite, both of them are quite you know, light-hearted, tonally. I mean, The Help dealt with some quite serious stuff, but it did it in a it light-hearted way. way. This is Tate Taylor basically going for David Fincher terrain, and he's trying to replicate the style of Gongol. You know that very cool, very, uh, you know, teal lighting yeah, kind of... Ev- uh, everything's blue. Everything's blue. Well, I think teal specifically for some reason, because it's, it's like teal and orange, but just no orange. No orange. Remember when every yeah. movie was teal and orange about ten years ago? Yeah, thanks for that, Stephen Soderbergh. <laughs> yeah, and, and Michael Bay, stop, because he's still doing it. I love stop. that all Soderbergh films just a little bit orange. A little, <laughs> little bit orange bit, and yellow. Little bit. But, uh, yeah, so he's gone for that cool, everything is, you know, uh, dark grey tiles and teal lighting and and you think okay you know what i i appreciate that this is a, a notable step up momentum wise for him great the problem is the script's rubbish for one thing uh it's written by uh, Aaron cressida wilson who did uh secretary 
Did secretary, then did Chloe as well. So she's clearly got a thing about the adult, uh, well, her adult content, we'll say. Because I wouldn't call secretary a thriller. Is that the Amanda Seyfried? The Amanda Seyfried, Liam Neeson, Julia Moore, yeah. That I've only seen one scene from. Yes, that that exact one. And we all know what scene it was, let's be honest. Scene Um, in the library, right? Where we're just reading books. Yeah, that's totally what it is. Yeah, that's my love of Julianne Moore. It was was totally satiated by that one scene. Anyway, um, going back to point. Uh, Aaron Cassetta Wilson has tried to perfect the Gone Girl balance of here is a compelling mystery thriller and here is a character-driven drama. The problem is Gone Girl had that balance perfect. Girl on the Train, not so much. It basically has all these mystery thriller elements that don't add up to much. When you get to the ultimate conclusion of the film, it makes no sense whatsoever. You're thinking, why is the film purposefully highlighted this when it adds nothing to the the ultimate, very predictable conclusion? And it is a just awfully predictable conclusion. Very, very, just irritatingly predictable. Having said that, Emily Blunt's great. Uh, it's nice to see Luke Evans playing something other than a sort of action manny role for a change, or fantasy action, or something like that. This is quite a flawed, interesting human character. Um, Haley Bennett, you know what? She's still the Discovery. She's still interesting after uh, Magnificent Seven. She's got something of an early Jennifer Lawrence thing going on, although she seems to be a bit older. Um... However, there is there is a flaw, and you're not going to like it, Case. It's Miss Janie. I knew you were going to say that, and I knew she was going to be in it, because yeah. it's a Tate Taylor film. <laughs> yeah, there's that. So there yeah, exactly she, that. she's basically the John Ratzenberg to his Pixar. Exactly. Yeah, she's the, in all of his films. The problem we've got here, she seems to have been directed towards delivering the performance with smugness rather than self-righteousness. And she's the investigating detective. And the problem is... You've got Alice and Janie. Use her properly. And if she did self-righteous, it would have worked perfectly. The problem is, it being smug, it kind of undermines the plot a little bit. And I'm sure that might be from the book or whatever, but it just it's wrong in this context. Although, I don't know how much that's been taken directly from the book, because apparently Emily Blunt's character, the main character, nothing like how she has in the book. That's the thing. That's I heard. like how Emily Blunt's played it. She's delivered a very flawed mm. character and made her quite a sympathetic and engaging lead. The fact that the whole story's been transplanted from the UK to the US isn't really much of an issue. Um, for some reason, Emily Blunt is still British, though. It's never quite explained. But she's just randomly British for no reason. Um, doesn't quite come together. Doesn't go off the rails completely, to go with the title pun. Mm. But... It really is only as good as Emily Blunt, and she's she's left to carry this thing. It's not Gone Girl, and frankly, you'd be better off actually taking the ticket money you would have spent on this and just going and buying the Blu-ray of Gone Girl and watching that and seeing this done properly, because it does feel like a cash-in, and you want something a lot more from it. I was I was let down, to be honest. It's not an awful film, it's just... In fact, it would have been more interesting if it were awful. That's the problem. It's not engaging. It's it, the it's balance. Got not much to talk about with it. Yeah, this, yeah, it's not discussion worthy. This is not like Gonga, where you go to work the next day, you talk about it over the water oh cooler. Yeah. I mean, we all were like, "Oh my god, how good was uh, Rosamund Pike in that movie?" You know, and like, "Oh, how wrong was Neil Patrick?" Gonga was awesome. This is not. So, oh, um, a bit off topic. Some film news for you. Um, have, do you know Coalition Studios, the video game studio? No, but no. I feel like I might know the You news. might know the news, yeah. right. They've revealed that Microsoft and Universal are teaming up to do a Gears of War movie. Yeah. This is like one of the biggest video game franchises in the world. Yeah, I'm surprised it hasn't been an option sooner. They've tried for years, because right. Billy Ray was going to do it at one point. Uh, was Billy Ray? 
And who are the other ones? There's been a couple over the years that have tried to get this off the ground. It's never happened. Apparently, now it will. So, we shall see. It's got one of the producers of Rise of the Planet of the Apes and one of the producers That's of cool. Ted on it, though. <laughs> so... Because wow, swings around about Really, really, just cover yeah. all your bases there. Right, okay, quick review then. Let's talk about the War on, every, uh, war on Everything, War on Everyone, which is the latest from uh, John Michael McDonough. Like you asked me, which McDonough is it? It's the one who did Calvary and The Guard, mm. not the brother who did uh, In Bruges. In Bruges and Seven Psychopaths. Seven Psychopaths. So, you've got two corrupt cops, and they are corrupt as hell. We haven't got a clip for this, by the way, because the film is so drenched in profanity, you literally <laughs> yes. cannot find a coherent clip. I, I tried bleeping a clip. It doesn't work. You can't follow the clip. So, they are two cops. They are basically well and truly versed in the idea of squeezing the criminal element of their neighbourhood. They will bribe, they will lie, cheat, steal, do anything. They'll plant evidence, they will do anything they have to to keep their streets clean. They are on the side of the angels, behaving like devils, for lack of a better term. Now, the cops are played by Michael Pena and Alexander Skarsgård, and this wheeling and dealing lands them in hot water one day when they cross paths with a British Lord Mangan, played by Theo James, who is this sort of, you know, suave, sophisticated British criminal. And he unleashes just this tirade of fury, and... What you get is basically a Shane Black homage. This is the Kiss Kiss Bang Bang thematic follow-up that The Nice Guys wasn't. I know you're a big fan of Nice Guys, you like it more than me. Um, this kind of, in a strange way, feels more in step with Kiss Kiss Bang Bang than The Nice Guys. Um, Alexander Skarsgård continues his trend of, I'm not just a pretty face, I am a younger, hunkier version of my dad. And really... It, it really does work. It does work, and it works very well in this context. Michael Pena, though, doesn't get an awful lot to do that we haven't seen him do three or four times in the last year. I mean, there are elements of Ant-Man in here. There's a little bit of his Martian roles. There's just requisite Michael Pena. Tessa Thompson's in there as, well, the token girl, yet she's not mm. saddled with a love interest role. She actually gets a little bit more to do. Oh, cool. As well as some surprisingly effective chemistry with Alexander Skarsgård. And Tessa Thompson's someone else who's shot up a lot in the last year. She has, yeah. Just to insert with a tiny little bit of film news, hmm. she is on track to be in the female lead for Han Solo film. Yeah, I heard this. Yeah, it's between her and uh, Zoe Kravitz and maybe a couple of other people, but uh, that's who we're looking at right now. Female yeah, I heard lead that. I could, I, could, I could see that. I could totally see that, yeah. Well, we've got her in Thor next year, haven't we? We have, can't in, wait, yeah. In Thor Ragnarok. she's playing. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah. Um, Theo James, you know, enjoyable performance as the villain. Not quite an interesting character, though. You feel like mm. they could have done more more with it. The joy of it, though, is in the script. The joy is in just the sheer vulgar, crass, crude, dark-hearted nature of it. It is funny. It is violent. It is over-the-top. It is excessive, and it is visceral. It is uh, well enough shot with enough sort of frenetic energy from, from McDonough. Um, the big problem with it is it's going to be a very divisive film. It's divisive really as regards its tone. Um, to, to put this in context for you, it is a movie that opens with the two cops in a car chasing down a mime, and Michael Peña saying, if you, if you mow down a mime, does he make a sound? <laughs> right, if, if that kind of thing amuses you, you're in for a great time with the film. Well, I, I laughed exactly. at that. You laughed I at chuckled that. at that. You probably will love this. Yeah. You're, you're a Peña fan anyway. I am a Peña fan. So you're going to love yeah. this, because he, you know, he gets his time to shine. Um... <laughs> If you're not into really, really sinister, really bloody, really just, you know, ugh, violent, thirsty comedy, hmm. you're not going to get on board with this, and it's not really even worth trying. It is very divisive in that way. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen. 
be my wingman anytime. You can be my wingman, Case, anytime. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I know, Goose. <laughs> you're just not a Top Gun fan, though. I'll never I'm understand not. it. I'm not. I, I, I will. Why. I will convert you. You know. All you, right. I'd, I'd rather watch uh, Hot Shots. Uh, that's a, do you know that's, that's a tough call. I do love Hot anytime. Shots. Although I prefer Hot Shots Part Deux. To, to I might as well, actually. Yeah, yeah Hushel Spot Dur is one of those that's actually gotten more culturally relevant as time has gone on. Hmm. But uh, thank you very much, US of A. <laughs> right, so let's uh, finish the box office top ten for the week and get that done and dusted. Number five, Supersonic. Oh, well, we can't really talk about Supersonic because that's our next review. So we'll we'll leave that. Yeah, stick around. Stick around. Don't look back in anger. We'll be back. Number four. <laughs> Magnificent Seven. <laughs> now, you've, have you seen this one? No. no. No? Do you have any interest in seeing it out of interest? I do. You out do. of interest, I do. <laughs> but is it? Is, do you, is your interest based on like a, a childhood love of the Magnificent Seven, the original? Or um, or is it just a little this, bit? A little a bit. Fuka film? And this Fuka film, and Denzel and Chris Pratt, and Vinnie Nofrio and Ethan Hawke. Okay, so yeah. it's, yeah. it's 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 the cast, it's the classic story, it's, it's that. I like a Western as well. I watch a rubbish Western. Well, that's it. I mean, to be honest, yeah. it, this does feel like an Antoine Fuqua Western, but less like The Magnificent Seven. It feels gritty and dour, and mm. I mean, don't get me wrong, the action scenes are fantastic, because it's a Fuqua film, and if Olympus Has Fallen has taught us anything, it's that uh, Antoine Fuqua can do action, and head-stabbing uh, fun. But <laughs> It's a head-stabbing good time for all. <laughs> it's a head-stabbing good time for the whole family. <laughs> but Magnificent Seven, not so much a good time for the whole family. It's one that will make your granddad roll his eyes and go, was better in my day, and frankly, be right to. Number three, Deepwater Horizon, which I really liked. I thought it was, uh, it was like Irwin Allen for the Black Hawk Down generation. Mark Wahlberg's a lot of fun in it. Peter Berg does a little uh, action flair in there, sort of a Michael Bay with a bit of conscience to him. And Kurt Russell is pretty badass. Number two, Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. I can't believe I said that without stuttering. In one go. Yeah. Yeah, well done, Case. Thank you very much. So, no, I liked this, um, and I am I aware I that me liking a Tim Burton film is one of the signs of the apocalypse. Yeah, but, I, uh, I'm just seeing uh, some pigs flying right now. <laughs> pigs flying. Oh, yeah. Hell is freezing over. Yeah. But I liked Big Eyes as <laughs> and well. And Donald Trump is going to be president. <laughs> well, we know that one of those is actually true. But um, it will happen. But anyway. Um, but yeah, two for two, because I liked Big Eyes. Um, this yeah. this plays like Tim Burton's X-Men. And and it's got Ava Green as its would-be Professor X, and it really works. Um, I liked it. I liked Arza Butterfield as a lead. I thought he's, he, like we said before, he's one of those actors, young actors, who goes away for a couple of years, comes back, reminds you he's brilliant, and then goes away again. Mm. And you'd kind of rather that than he keeps churning them out and occasionally gets them wrong. But uh, between this and Ender's Game, he's, he's sorted for me for a while. But I like that Tim Burton has distanced himself slightly from this material. Uh, the biggest complaint you can have with it, arguably, is Samuel L. Jackson's kind of phoning this in, because it's what we're used to for him now. But other than that, I really enjoyed it. Number one. Uh, she's still here. Uh, Bridget Jones's baby. Oh, that baby is still going. And frankly, it's well, about as amusing as a regular human baby, which is, I'm sure it's you know great to the people that want a human baby around. I don't so much. But... Yeah, it's kind of getting to a point where the filmmakers are like that really annoying, overbearing parent that's had a kid <laughs> for a while. And we're just like, look, look at, at our child, baby. Look at our baby. <laughs> and it's like, we have. It's great. Well, that's fine. the thing. Bridget Jones is it's funny enough. Um, it's it's not groundbreaking. It's a vast improvement on the second one. It's not a patch on the first. 
if you're a fan, you're going to enjoy it. If not, it's not really going to convert you. And it is about five years out of date, and it feels it all the way through. Having said that, you know, Bridget's back. She's as likable as she ever was, I suppose. Has got Sarah Soleimani and uh, Emma Thompson to uh, steal the film, though. So, yeah, can't really complain. You know, there is some fun in there. And, well, I just think the Ed Sheeran joke's a bit dated, for one thing. Um yeah, and the Tinder gag, and the... Yeah. Uh, Despite the fact that apparently the film takes place five years ago. Does it take place five years ago? I don't know. Because this if that's... just the, what we've... Yeah, there's certain internet developments got. and modern iPhones and things like that that you just think, well, this is quite clearly now. So, yeah. It doesn't make a whole heap of sense, but you know what? It, it, it's it's fine. We'll let it go. Let's talk about Nicholas Holt for a minute. Have you heard about yeah. his new his new job? Yes. I'm very happy about this. It sounds pretty good. This sounds interesting. one of your favourite actors in this, isn't it? Mr. Mr. Shannon. Mm-hmm. So Michael Shannon and Benedict Cumberbatch are going to star in The Current War, which is a very clever title, yeah. for one thing, which is the story of uh, Thomas Edison and George Westinghouse and their rivalry for who's going to be the dominant you know, creator of electricity. Because was it... Was it Edison who wanted direct current and Westinghouse wanted alternating current? I think so, yeah. Well, Nicholas Holt's going to join now. Who's he going to be playing? Nikola Tesla, the inventor of the car. Yes, he's going to be <laughs> <laughs> following the great footsteps of uh, David Bowie. Yes, because yeah. that is a tough act to follow. Once once Bowie's done it, why would you even try? Unless, of course, you're Michael Sheen. But, uh, yeah, because yeah, <laughs> that was fun in Tron Legacy. But, uh, yeah, so he's going to play Nikola Tesla, who famously worked with Thomas Edison for years, and then left for, never really been quite clear, he left and sold his patents to Westinghouse. So, you know, further increasing their rivalry. This actually sounds like it could be really interesting. Mm. But Benedict Cumberbatch as Thomas Edison, that's going to be amazing. Michael mm. Shannon. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Strange v. Zod. I'm sure this is going to you know, really yeah. pan out. So let's uh, let's talk then about, uh, well, it's not really the big documentary of the week. And it's only had, it's only one evening screening that you could go to, and that's passed. But even so, so, it's number five. It's number five in the top ten. Top ten. So, Supersonic, which is the latest documentary from the team behind Amy and Senna. Yes. And this is the directorial debut of one of, the, one of those movies' producers, uh, Matt Whitecross. Yeah. And, of course, chronicles the rise, but not the fall, of Oasis. And this is a very, very key sticking point. Not the fall. Not the fall. It chronicles the, the origins of Oasis, how they formed, so the, the Gallagher Brothers' childhood years yeah. as well, how Oasis formed and goes all the way up to their... Kind of iconic, their two-night set at Nebworth in 1996, which was just after the release of What's the Story of Morning Glory, because it was, it was during the sort of promotional high of that movie. About a year after, but the, the album was still dominating sort of pop culture. And yeah, so it's, it's done in the style of Amy. So there's no talking heads, it's disembodied voices over a lot of archival footage. Very stylized, very uh, slick looking, very in your face. Here's a clip of Noel Gallagher talking about how he joined Oasis and dispelling one of the most famous stories about the band. To hear your own stuff played back, it was really a mega moment. And then it went nowhere for two years. So, I mean, there is the myth that I've kicked open the rehearsal room door to the theme tune from The Good, The Bad and The Ugly and said, everybody stop what they're doing. I am here to make us all millionaires. You know, there wasn't that at all, you know what I mean? No, the truth is he got on his hands and knees and said, listen, I'll do anything. Just please let me be in your band. I said, get up off your hands and knees, son. You're all right, you can do it. I think I've got a picture of it somewhere. So you can you can get a sense of the, the humour that's going to run through this. Yeah. It is a very funny film. 
They, they do naturally. The, the Gallagher brothers have a sense of humour in their own distinct ways. Mm. Noel is very self-aware, very deadpan, very dry. Yeah. Liam is... In his own world. Yes, in his own world. Delusional yeah. would be another way of putting it. And... He, is. he is all around the world. <laughs> he is all around the world. But thankfully, the film doesn't particularly look back in anger. Um, uh, <laughs> I couldn't resist. I'm sorry. All right. Fine. The, film, okay. the film doesn't quite look back in anger. Um, in fact, the weird thing about the film is it doesn't have much in the way of historical perspective beyond its very limited window. Um, it doesn't, for instance, mention at any point that they ever split up. It doesn't mention why they split up. There is a passing reference to the fact the Gallagher brothers don't have a relationship anymore. So some might say it's actually quite a sheltered look at the band. Yeah, very much yeah. so. Yeah, I mean, it, uh, there's, there is a sense of acquiescence to it all. Mm. I mean, underneath the sky, it does seem uh, it does seem like it could be a lot more in-depth than it is. It does slide away into a, a, a sense of, uh, well... It, what you're trying to say is it casts no shadow. It casts no, it casts no shadow. It casts no shadow, indeed. Yeah. The, you, if you're a fan of Oasis, there's a lot in there that you won't know. A surprising amount. Um, it's the master plan. It is the master plan. Yeah. <laughs> there is there is a surprising amount you will learn. Uh, there is a story about Oasis's first American gig that will just have your jaw on the floor. What's the story? What, Morning Glory? Mm. Um, right. Well, um, during their first gig in Hollywood, they thought they were doing coke. It turned out to be crystal meth. <laughs> and, yeah, and it, it created what this ripple effect of absolute chaos, which kind of destroyed the idea of Oasis in America, in one sense. Um, it doesn't have the heft of something like Amy, though, because there isn't a grand, tragic story to it, mm. because they've chosen not to cover that aspect of the story. They've chosen to end long before it gets to the really interesting stuff about Oasis. And we all know that the more interesting stuff about Oasis is the relationship between Liam and Noel, and when that actually disintegrated. The problem is this stops long before the disintegration point. So you've got the build-up to a terrific documentary that doesn't then deliver that terrific documentary. What you get is a good time and some really informative anecdotes about Oasis. There is a story about, for instance, Noel went walkabout in the US and shacked up with a girl in San Francisco who he now doesn't remember and who turned out to be the entire inspiration for Talk Tonight. Didn't know that. Interesting story, though, right? Yeah. yeah I, I also so, yeah. learned that All Around the World was actually one of the very first Oasis songs. It just really, yeah, just didn't until see the light of the day. Third album. Didn't see the light of day until the third album, and it sounded exactly the same as well. That was the really, mm. really strange part because there is a surprising <clears throat> amount of recorded footage of young Oasis. I didn't realize for one thing that Noel, uh, that Liam Gallagher was only about nineteen when the band started. Yeah, I did know that. I didn't think that because he looked about thirty. So have you seen him now? Well, he looks about forty. So <laughs> that's accurate. <laughs> exactly. So, I, I think he looks older. What's the line from Will and Grace? It's like the OC with 25-year-old kids and 35-year-old parents. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. But I'll say, I did like it. I didn't think it had anywhere near the heft of something like Amy because Amy told a complete story. This really doesn't. And you do feel like you're leaving the cinema having not been told the full picture, not been shown the full picture. Mm. And that's a problem it never quite overcomes. It's stylish as hell, though, and it has taken its cues from Amy, and it does show. And it is a very likeable, very engaging, very romping documentary. If you're a fan of Oasis, you're in for a great time. If you are curious about Oasis, you're going to get shown an awful lot. You're going you're gonna to learn a fair bit, and you may actually become a fan as a result. The problem is, it's not the complete story, and you do come away wanting that, and it never quite gets over it. With the latest film news and reviews, 
This is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. And we're back and dancing. Who doesn't love a bit of that Star Wars disco music? Did you ever check out the Star Wars Connect dancing game, by the way? No. no. I, uh, well, it's, it's still on my list we'll pull of it up. Connect dancing games. When we're done, I'll show it you on YouTube. Uh, it's it's actual disco dancing with Lando and Ham. Beautiful. You, you're in for a whale of a time. But let's uh, get the, the final uh, review of the week out of the way, which is also another <laughs> documentary. My Scientology movie. Yeah. Right, Louis Theroux, colon, My Scientology movie, yeah. which is a very deceptive, very cle- yet clever title. Because presumably, you've not seen the movie, I'm guessing. Not yet, no. no. So you're presumably expecting a documentary about Scientology, right? Mm. Right, it's not that. It's, it's a not that at all. about Louis. No, it's not that either. It's actually something closer to Mark Thomas's work. Do you know Mark Thomas, the comedian activist? He does. A bit, yeah. He pulls stunts to bait people for for politi- to prove a political point, right? I've seen a couple of his live shows. He's he's a lot of fun. Um, this is Louis Theroux doing something quite similar. What he's done is, he, as the film opens, he tells us tells us about Scientology very briefly, and then he says. I've been on them for years. I've been asking them, can I have some access? Can I do a documentary about Scientology? I want to see what makes this organization tick. The church being what it is has always turned him down. So he's decided to take it a step further. He's gone and got one of Scientology's most famous, most well-known escapees, Marty Rathburn, who was a real high up in the, like an enforcer for the church, enforcer slash PR man who is guilty of some absolutely terrible things, as we as we learn over the course of this. And he and Louis set up using actually publicly released uh, videos and footage from the church. They set up a movie, and they reenact, for the purposes of a movie, all of these famous scenes from the existence of Scientology. They cast Tom Cruise, they cast the church's leader David Miscavige, they cast Marty... But in doing this movie, they do it sort of behind closed doors. So all the Church of Scientology knows is that Louis Theroux is making what seems to be a fictional movie about Scientology. So you can only guess what then happens. The Church decide to go after Louis and Marty Rathburn. What you have are people following them in in in, in you know innocuous uh, vehicles you have uh, security guards and higher ups from the sea org uh, accosting them on the street saying you can't film here this is a private road it's a public road they're very very adamant about this road they have a real thing about this road and marty rathburn gets his life absolutely threatened with upheaval they make comments about his adopted son he's accosted at the airport and we actually get this recorded in through the through like a blackberry camera He's got it in his pocket. And there are three members of the Church of Scientology basically just walking up to him in the middle of an airport, telling him he's worthless and what a waste he is. And and it's an absolutely harrowing story. Behind it all, of course, is Louis Theroux and his well-patented, uh, his style of aloofness, which of course, is not the way to call it. Yeah, pretty he's, accurate. Did you know, by the way, he's Justin Theroux's cousin? I did know that. In fact, I was going to segue about myself, but you've uh, beat me to it. So. I'm sorry. I didn't, Touché. I didn't know. It's all right. It's, it's something I didn't know until the other day. But uh, yeah, no, interesting, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and Melissa and Jenny McCarthy are cousins. Didn't know that either. Tiny Rad as well. No, didn't know yeah. that either. This is another future podcast special. Yeah, and Robbie and Stephen Amell. Yeah, relations of the rich and famous. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so Louis Theroux versus the Church of Scientology. We have a trailer clip here. Scientology. Scientology. A religion created by a sci-fi writer, run by a mysterious leader, David Miscavige. So this is my chance to experience Scientology first hand. You need to leave. How do you 
doing, Mr. Squirrel? You guys are trespassing. Got anything to say? It's okay, we have a permit. Why are you here? He's right behind us now. We have their attention. Why are they doing this? It's just not like any church that you can think of. Gradually, I realized they were never going to let me in. So, Louis Theroux fans can rejoice. I presume you're a Louis Theroux fan. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Louis Theroux fans can rejoice because he has mm. brought the style that we love him for to the screen. He's brought it successfully. Um, what is less successful? Because the actual gimmick, the concept, as I've just laid it out for you, that does work. But the problem is you want Louis Theroux to do what he does best, which is to do the straight documentary with that style of aloofness. Obviously, that's not entirely his fault because I you kind of feel like Alex Gibney kind of pulled the rug out from under him with this one because Alex Gibney had Going Clear, which was an which was that documentary. It was a straight documentary, and once you've once once you've seen that about Scientology, you kind of don't need to go any further with it. This does work in that Mark Thomas sense, in the let's pull a stunt, let's bait them kind of a sense. Um, and you know, Louis always entertaining to watch. There are some some moments in the film that will absolutely absolutely hilarious that will have you rolling around the aisles um the problem is you do feel like you've been denied something in that way that the oasis documentary didn't give you a complete picture this kind of has a similar feeling in <clears throat> when when louis through is coming to the big screen i want him to do louis through i want a louis through documentary not so much a stunt mm. um having said that it is harrowing and hilarious in equal measure and you're never uninterested yeah. you, you've got to give it that it's, it's a gripping story it is intriguing it's it has a cinematic sort of feel yeah. to it. It does feel like he's upped his game with the sort of shift of the bigger format. You look like you're going to ask me something. I wasn't so much going to ask, but rather state something. I think I would like to see him do something other than his usual documentaries because he has been quite consistently doing the same thing for years and years and years. I'm not saying that's a bad thing because I've been a fan of Louis for as long as I can remember. But we always get them like every... We get like one every six months or... Just like, like one, a few, it? Yeah, but there was one on Sunday. There was a recap of uh, the Jimmy Savile. Thank you for reminding one. me. It's a like, it sequel, wasn't it? I, it yeah, I need, to, I, I need to watch I've, that. I've not seen it yet. <clears throat> no, I need to watch that. Thank you for but reminding me. That's going to be in his similar style, and it might be interesting now that this is a change of format to see him do something a little bit further, further pace. Did you know that Louis Theroux's uh, complete works is one of the most requested home releases ever? Really? Because they've know. never released the complete Louis Theroux collection. It's one of the most requested things ever. I didn't know a lot of people. That- watch them on netflix yeah again they are the weird yeah. weekends aren't they weird weekends and the the la stories are on there as well and, yeah. so that's the thing i think you'd like it i think you'd like it yeah, i don't I think, think you'd well. be blown away by it um i think it does tick the box of let's get louis through on the big screen yeah. and i, I like a lot it of it's just his presence because it, it is he's an enjoyable like, presence isn't, isn't he yeah yeah um but that's it it's not the big be all end all louis through cinematic documentary that we quite hoped for but, you know, I'll, I'll take it. I still enjoyed it. I liked it. I'm intrigued by it. I want to see him do more big screen documentaries, though. I would like something more straight informative, though, than here's a chronicle of how these yeah. people actually behave. God, I'd love him to do a US election one. Oh, imagine that. We have got uh, a documentary in a couple of weeks called You Got Trumped. Really? Which I, I'm not, I, don't, I know nothing about. I'm intrigued by that. But it's not film of the week, anyway. Okay. We're not giving it film of the week. Uh, I'm going to give that to, to good old Mel. Welcome back, Mel. You were gone far <laughs> too long. It's good to have you back. Now, don't screw it up. Don't <laughs> screw it up. Uh, Bloodfather is... I'm, I'm giving film of the week, too. But uh, So, um, your boy, Mr. Hanks, the uh, Jimmy Stewart of his generation, he's, he's back next yeah. week. 
And what is he back in? He's back in a Dan Brown adaptation because those are always so much fun with their skydiving priests and <laughs> self-flagellating poor Bettany's. But I uh, would love us some more if that's just what it was called. The skydiving, <laughs> skydiving priests, <laughs> featuring Tom Hanks. <laughs> Ewan McGregor is the skydiving, skydiving priest. priest. Skydiving Pope, wasn't he? He was the Pope, he actually. Was, he was a smoking Pope in the last one. He was. He was, he the was literally a smoking pope, pope who's ever lived. <laughs> the Popiest Pope. <laughs> the Pope is not the buffest Pope. All but right. uh, yeah, so Inferno's next week. Uh, Andy Sambo's got an animated film next week. Yeah, Stokes. Stokes that's Do you know who was, uh, who's directed that? No. Nicholas Stoller. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. So, director of I Love You Man and Sarah Marshall. And, yeah. Yeah. Wow, I didn't know that. They've Pretty kept that fairly quiet. Mm. It's also got Keen Peel in, I believe, as well. It has two wolves. And I think Kelsey Grammer somewhere? Is he? Yeah, he plays like a boss stalk. Okay, yeah. as, as you do. Yeah, that's yeah. who you get for Asian Applied, totally. Uh, we've also got Kate Play Christine. I don't know anything about that one. No, I've not no. And of course, a near three hour long movie starring Shia LaBeouf, because that's going to end well. American Honey yeah. is next week. So, it's a fairly quiet week. Four films. Oh my god, what are we going to talk about after that? I know, Podcast Extras is going to be us just, you know, shoot the breeze. Do you know what, we'll use some of the leftover Oasis puns that we didn't use today. Put them in Well, you know, I am a walrus and all. So, uh... Just, is that even a... How subtle it, that reference was. It was a cover. cover. <laughs> it's a cover, but it, it's on the master plan, isn't it? So, yeah, I think it's on, it's master, on the master yeah, plan. Yeah, must so, B-Sides and Rarities yeah. album, isn't it? It is weird to me that the Oasis' best album is their B-Sides album. Uh. Kind of a weird one, that one. Whatever. But, uh, okay, so we've got all those to come more next week off screen. This has been a candy store production for On Screen. I've been Van Connor. I've been, as always, Case Allen. And we leave you this week with news of Lee Daniels' upcoming project, his most personal one to date, a musical about the life of Lee Daniels. We'll see you next week. Just show me the way to get out of here, and I'll be on my way. You've been listening to Off Screen. For more news and reviews, visit onscreenfilm.com. Okay, Podcast extras then, Mr. Allen. So two reviews to do this week, both being with G. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> and then next week we have... None of that. And <laughs> Next week we've got so much more fun. So uh, yeah, let's let's uh, let's do some film news because I, I don't want to get to the greasy strand. I want to talk about this, this Lee, Lee Daniels. The Lee Daniels thing. Yeah, because he dropped out of doing Richard Pryor. The Richard Pryor. He Pryor did. Pryor. Yeah, he did. Yeah, which was giving up to just be be awesome. Amazing. It yeah. sounded incredible. Well, Is the thing this I why he drops out. I, I don't know. Um, I'm full of yourself. You have to be to make a film about yourself over making a film about Richard Pryor. Well, let's let's be honest. We could joke that it's going to be called Lee Daniels. Lee Daniels the musical. <laughs> Um, yeah. The thing is, he's, presents a film yeah, he's just arrogant enough to do it, though. Yeah, like it's actually a possibility with him. Mm. But uh, no, mm. the part of the genesis of it comes from his his exact words. Well, I've had a pretty interesting life story. Like we all think that about ourselves, but it'd be really boring to watch for someone else. Yeah. His story is: um, his father was a police officer, an abusive police officer who was killed in the line of duty. Prior to that, his father smacked him around to beat, uh, as he called it, beat the gay out of him. He then went to sure. work as uh, at an agency for nurses, a nurse hiring agency. Um, then decided to quit, set up his own shop. By the time he was, I think, 21, he ran a, success, a financially successful agency, which he sold for a lot of money, and then managed to basically buy his own way into the entertainment industry. He became a casting director, then a producer, and then directed Shadowboxer. 
and became the Lee Daniels we know now and gave the world empire. So at least, you know, we can thank him for keeping Ter- uh, you know, Terence Howard in Trevor Terence Howard Terence Howard in in, Howard, in work, yeah. you know, that's that. Yeah. I I like Empire. I kind of hate watch it. I've never watched it. It's definitely worth watching in the way that you would watch really really trashy shows. Isn't it just raps glee? No. I mean, yeah, kind of. Kind of. A little bit. Oh, okay. No, oh, hang on, isn't it Nashville with rap? Yeah, it could, yeah, yeah. Basically yeah. Nashville for Rapsville, rap. Yeah. Kind of. Rapsville, yeah. Rapsville. Rapsville. Okay, yeah. right. Well, I, I'll be honest, I've, I've, you know, I've only ever seen three episodes of New Girl, so my TV back catalog I do think is... you need to catch up on New Girl. Well, yeah, because otherwise I won't know, you know my, my Jake Johnson, and I won't understand you quite as well as I could. So, yeah, there's that. All, all of this fashion sense comes from Jake Johnson. <laughs> is that what it is? Yeah, is that the explanation? Yeah. All of the final shirts. So, uh, let's talk about uh, Ra- the Rachels for a second, because we've got Rachel McAdams, Rachel Vice. They've got a project together coming up. Oh, really? Is yes. Rachel Bloom going to be in it as well? She was the only other Rachel I could think of. Well, yeah, there, there is there's possibly. That would be awesome, yeah, She's cool. I like Richard Bloom. Well, um, it's going to be called Disobedience. It's based on a, novi by, a, a, novi, a novel by Naomi Alderman, um, which is a British novel set in London. So I don't know if this is going to do the whole girl on the train thing and transplant it. Set it somewhere else, yeah. Uh, it's going to, uh, well, Rachel Weisz is also producing it. She's going to star as the lead who is a lapsed Jew and a rabbi's daughter named Ronitz. Uh, she returns home to her Orthodox Jewish uh, community when the rabbi father passes away having not been home for some time she goes back and apparently is going to cause upheaval because her former best friend slash unrequited love is now her cousin's wife and the pair reignite their uh, their romance and basically cause all manner of chaos in as a result rachel mcadams being the love interest yeah so that wouldn't be that interesting. sounds interesting uh meanwhile chloe moretz is going to join tilda swinton <laughs> In a remake of Suspiria. Wasn't she quitting uh, acting a week ago? Yeah, I think that might have been a case of, I'll quit until you offer me something better. <laughs> Tilda Swinton. <laughs> Tilda Swinton? Where do I sign up? <laughs> Which I'm pretty sure is how they got Benedict Cumberbatch to do a Marvel movie. <laughs> Tilda Swinton, pass me the cape. <laughs> have you seen the latest Doctor Great impression. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Uh, have you seen the latest uh, Doctor Strange TV, TV spot. spot? The reverse one. No, I've not. I've heard about it. I'm trying not to watch it because I watched one a couple of weeks ago. Oh, there's no new footage in it. It's, it's just in reverse. It's just in reverse. But cool. uh, they've cleverly... Everything about it is in reverse. As in the logo comes at the beginning. The 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 uh, rating canning comes at the end. Yeah. Even the tagline is in reverse. And it makes complete sense because in reverse it reads, His time is now. You're like, oh, that's brilliant. Oh. Okay, this that kind of works. I'm excited about this now. Although it does good marketing, does kind of annoyingly confirm the presence of a certain Marvel MacGuffin. But you know, aside from that, I think everyone just figured. Yeah, yeah. So we have got an Infinity Stone coming. Shocker. Which means there has to be one in Black Panther. What are we missing now? What? We're missing two stones. We're missing we? the Time Stone. That's Doctor Strange. Yeah. What's obviously. the other stone then? What have we had? We've had. The Mind Stone, we've... Do you know, I forget offhand. I, the, the, You've got to look it up, The you? stones it's... don't reconcile with, between the comics and the movies, so... Yeah, they've kind of taken their own path with it. Yeah, I know there's a green stone that's yet to come, so... So maybe that maybe that's Black Panther, because James Gunn has said there's not going to be one in Guardians 2. Doesn't need to be, though, does it? And speaking of Guardians, segue into a tiny bit of news, which isn't really news, but it's kind of fun. Go on. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy yeah. has the highest body count of any film 
Fantastic. Does Any that mean James Gunn has finally wiped out reality? I think so. I think so. I'm <laughs> going to try and find the Hang exact on. How number. many people died in The Force Awakens? Try and find that. See if it's on the list. Do you know what? It's not even on the top ten. I will I will give you uh, five to one. So okay, no- five to one. Body counting films. Go on. 300 Rise of an Empire. 2,234. Really? Acceptable, okay. Okay, fair enough. Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. Yeah. 2,798. Right. You can see that. <laughs> Number three, The Sum of All Fears. Oh, God, yeah, yeah, they didn't yeah, have yeah, nukes, yeah. yeah. 2,992. They did wipe out the Super Bowl, oh, to sorry, be fair. 20. Yeah, that's true, yeah. Mm. Um, we definitely uh, kick it up a notch for number two. Dracula Untold. Do you remember that film, Luke Evans? Vaguely, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Is that the one that maybe kind of sort of fits into the shared monsters universe? But maybe, depending on how much Luke Evans is getting paid by Disney. So I expect to see him playing Namor anytime soon. Yes. Yeah. Go on. Uh, 5,687. There was a lot of carnage. It's pretty good, yeah, yeah. yeah. Not, not a bad, respectable number. Number one. Guardians of the Galaxy. 83,871. <laughs> the first one. The first one, yeah. How did 83,000 people die in Guardians of the I Galaxy? I need to go back and watch it, but I remember that... Is it there's... when the ship crashed onto Nova Planet? Yeah, well, there'll be that. And um, when... Isn't it like a flashback to when Drax's... Does no. It, does something blow up in nowhere? Like a big planet blow up in nowhere? No, I'm sure. I'm sure the only mass carnage situation is the uh, necromancer-like ship crashing. When it comes the... down? Yeah. I but... can't imagine that many people died. 83,000 people died in... Well, hang on, because that's yeah. nonsense. Because in Star Wars A New Hope, Obi-Wan specifically said, like a, like millions of voices were crying out. Which <clears throat> means millions of people on Alderaan died. Died, yeah. And that's to say nothing of what was the population hashtag, of the Death Star. Justice for Alderaan. <laughs> <laughs> hashtag Alderanian Lives Matter. Yeah. <laughs> well, this was. is according to The Guardian. And uh, Joe, The Guardian gave Swiss Army Man one star the other day, so I don't trust him. He gave him. what? Uh, Swiss Army Man. They gave it one, one star. One star? Yeah. Who was the reviewer? Um, Do you know? Wendy something. Wendy Eyed. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Does, oh. that, does that make sense to you? I'm, I'm surprised at her. Oh. I, oh, we usually agree. Oh, well, oh, go, never mind. go tell her that her opinion is false. Uh, I'm not going to say that to her. You but no, she, she's a nice lady. She's I'm, a very I'm, nice I'm lady. sure she is. I, I, yeah, she's she's definitely entitled to her opinion, but her her opinion is wrong. Yes, but she's she's a nice lady. <laughs> I, I would never tell her she's wrong, but in this case, she's mistaken, <laughs> <laughs> which is just PC for wrong. <laughs> Okay, so let's let's talk about another thing that's very very wrong. Then let's talk about the greasy strangler. Yes, which <laughs> I really want to see it. Really, of course, yeah. Stop, stop wanting to see it. Which is the featured debut of Jim Hosking. It is the story of a father, son, an adult father, an adult son, and his father. You've got Big Ronnie, who's the dad, who's played by Michael St. Michael. And uh, and his son, <laughs> Big Braden, who was played by what? How do I say his name? Uh, Sky Elabar, and they present disco tours of the back uh, the back streets of L.A. Basically, it's made up nonsense. They just pick a doorway and say, "Oh, this is where the Bee Gees wrote uh, uh, Staying Alive" mm. or "Night Fever." They make stuff up, and they're basically disgusting, you know, horrible people. You know, they there's something of a John Waters slash Napoleon Dynamite. Kind of tone to all this. Yeah, the the father son uh, relationship starts to break down when the son encounters a woman on the tour, on one of their tours, with whom he begins a relationship. And what then follows is a love triangle between the three. 
In the background of all of this is Big Ronnie's insistence that he is the notorious local greasy strangler, a man who butters himself head to toe every night in Greece and trolls the streets of L.A. randomly killing people. Doesn't seemingly actually strangle them, so I'm not sure where the name comes from. It's a good um, name. It's a good name. It, we'll do the clip and then we'll talk about it. I'm sorry. My dad can get cranky sometimes. As your father, I forbid you to marry. He sure has a temper on him. Hey! Stop talking to the customer and help down with his shorts. <laughs> Janet loves me. I love her. You're making a big mistake. Jody needs to go now. I am the greasy strangler. Now... There is something incredibly 2016 about this film. Um, and I say that given that it's it's imbued with a sort of 70s uh, look to it. 70s-inspired John Waters' uh, uh, loving edge to it all. Um, you could only release this in 2016 because this is a year where, let's be honest, you know, huge world events have been brought about by idiots simply pushing shock comments, for lack of a better term. I mean, one of them might actually be the next US president. So, you know, and you know, let's, let's say, to say nothing of Brexit. Um, that, that said, then, this fits in completely, because this is a film so crass, vulgar, and uninteresting that it just feels completely at home in 2016. It really does. If, if ever anything, if ever a film summed up 2016, it is the greasy strangler. Um, it is... <laughs> I'm going to be fair to, to Jim Hosking for a moment and just say that uh, it is an exercise in style over substance and it is memorable. You know, you've got to give back. It's memorable for all the wrong reasons, but it's memorable. It is appallingly written. It's not funny. It's not interesting. I couldn't tell you if it was well acted because the characters are these pantomime creations that never really amount to much. Um, It's a horrible, unpleasant abhorrent experience that lasts something like 88 minutes. I was like, 93 minutes. So it's not too long, then. That's good. No, it lasts 93 minutes. It feels Feels about three weeks long. It is just... The problem with it, it actually, is it's so uninteresting that you can't hate it. To hate it would involve mustering up any kind of enthusiasm for it. And yet it's so unengaging, so unengrossing, that you can't. You come out of it afterwards and think... Well, the repeated line gag doesn't work because there is just that back and forth, the payoff kind of callback kind of a gag style. That doesn't work. Uh, visually didn't do an awful lot for me. Story was rubbish. Cast was rubbish. Didn't care. Rubbish. Didn't hate it. It was rubbish. Mm. And really, that's it. And you look at it, because it has gotten really, really good write-ups. It's yeah, gotten it really poster quotes. This is the thing. It's gotten... Poster quotes. Now, I'm always dubious about poster quotes when I've not seen the reviews. This is one of those films that feels like it's been entirely constructed to appeal solely to what I call pre-fans. And pre-fans are the kind of people that still insist to this day that Batman Superman was any cop, when we all know it really wasn't. They are people that love something in theory. Before sight unseen, love it in theory. That have a preconceived notion which they can't then shake. They can never move past the preconceived notion to actually fairly judge something. So they just insist that it's, you know, what they already thought it was, regardless of whether or not it's the complete polar opposite. Mm. This is one of those films. It's a film that has generated pre-fans through a quirky trailer. And those fans really, really need to admit that no, 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 God, no, never, no, not a chance, and in that order... 
this is the worst. This is awful. This is just dreadful. It should never be seen by another person. It is just bad. You come out of it afterwards and you just have this dull headache, this dull pain in your frontal cortex, this overwhelming dilemma whereby you you really want to debate whether or not the feeling of nausea that's overpowering you is due to having spent 93 minutes looking at congealed fat, or if it's just a result of the film itself. But at the same time, to actually give it that much discussion would be doing it a service it doesn't deserve. It is bad in every. Con- I, I, I know you, you know, you're, you're interested in it. I can only tell you, you have seen the best of it. I think my interest stemmed from the fact that it, it didn't look that great. <laughs> it's not that great. <laughs> it really isn't. I, I like a film that just looks terrible. You like a bit of crap. I, I've never, I've never seen before. That's kind of where my interest stemmed from it. That's, no, but that's then again, thing. I could start watching it and then 20 minutes in so much, but like, this is just not even. You say bad that, though, about things you've never seen before. Yeah. You have, though. You've seen it done infinitely better in John Waters' movies. Just watch John Waters' film. Just. Ju- I have. You, that's it. Go, rewatch I want to see more. <laughs> rewatch them. Okay. Just, just rewatch some John Waters' films. You'll see this done better. And it's it's just not any good. It's impossible to like. It's impossible to get on board with. You're not interested enough to even vaguely try following it. It's just a waste of time. So, sorry to destroy that for you. By the way, I've just noticed your your <laughs> phone wallpaper. Destroyed anything? Yeah, I've just noticed My your phone, phone wallpaper, wallpaper and yeah. Brie Larson. Mm, yeah. Um, it, Somebody um, um, uh, saw this on my phone the other day and um, thought that uh, it was my daughter. <laughs> is it because she's in a Miss Marvel, a Captain Marvel hoodie? Yeah, I managed yeah. to awkwardly then explain that no, it's 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 an actress I really like who's going to be playing a superhero I really like. And I, it was really I discovered the other day that Brie Larson used to be a pop singer. Yes, she did. I did not know this. Yeah, she can carry a tune. She can carry a tune. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine her singing. You know, well, I mean, she does in Room briefly, doesn't she? Yeah, briefly. But, but uh, no, she can't. No, yeah, she she had something of a career. She is. I think she's married now. To the guy from Phantom Planet who did the soundtrack to, to the OC. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I saw him at the Oscars and I was like, what? what, what <laughs> why why, you, why is California dude there? Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> that's all he is to us. That's all he is. He's yeah. California dude. Uh, what else have we got in the film news then this week? I've got some news about uh, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So The ones I, who didn't do the score to The Girl on the Train. The ones that didn't do the score to Gone Train, but did do did do Gone Girl to yeah to, to Gone Girl and uh, Social Network and uh, yes. Girl with Dragon Tattoo. Oh, they did, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, I remember them. Yeah. So those, I believe, are the only uh, uh, feature films they've done the score to, and they should do more because they are awesome. They are. What but are they doing? Not case? a David Fincher film. No. A Peter Berg film. Oh no! Is it Patriots Day? It is Patriots Day. Oh, okay. Which I. <laughs> Yeah, I, I wasn't really looking forward to it until I heard that, and then I looked more into the film. I mean, obviously, I knew what it was about, but I didn't know who was in the cast, who was involved. I knew that my man Marky Mark was there, because yeah. Peter Berg. I knew John Goodman was there. Yeah. Usually, John Goodman will, will sell me on any film. That's it's, true. It's John Goodman. But Kevin Bacon, mm-hmm. J.K. Simmons. Yep. There's someone else as well, but I've forgotten, but equally as good. Mm-hmm. What's the name? Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Oh, Michelle Monaghan. Yeah, Michelle yeah. Monaghan's in it. Yeah, and now Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, so you, which is pretty interesting. going to gloss over the fact that Supergirl's in it. Just and Melissa Benoist, that. that was the other one uh, as well. Uh, uh, actually, we looked this up the other day. Yeah. I was in the uh, the Cineworld Leicester Square, which nobody is calling it that. 
Nobody, the Empire. <laughs> the Empire. Nobody is calling it the Sydney World Leicester Square. It is the Empire Leicester Square. It's even written on the glass. I was I was uh, chatting to some of the staff there. Um, I was stood around talking to Alan and this, and these two guys, and we were talking about because uh, it was before Deepwater Horizon. Yeah, and we were talking about it being uh, Peter Berg's next film, being Patriots Day, and uh, we couldn't figure out how you're supposed to pronounce her name. It's Melissa Benoist. 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 Why have I always said Benoist? I've I've always said Benoist. It's Benoist. Which Benoist. The only problem with saying Melissa Benoist is, what do you think of? Noist. <laughs> I wasn't going to say that. I was going to say that it rhymed with moist. <laughs> which isn't Let's isn't not go there. Good. Let's not. <laughs> but uh, no, Noist. I always think of Noist in, in Key and Peele. But uh, yeah, she's a so Supergirl's, uh, Supergirl's getting a movie. Oh my God, I've heard of Jordan Peele's new film. Uh, Get Out? Get Out, yeah. The trailer mm-hmm. dropped for the other day. I haven't had the pleasure yet. I... It, it looks pretty good. It looks promising. I, I, I haven't seen the Pirates of the Caribbean one either. So, have, have you not? That looks promising. I don't. I shouldn't say it. Really? Yeah. Pirates Five looks I promising. I know. Hey, yeah. we're living in a world yeah. where Fast and Furious Eight is currently in post production. <laughs> <laughs> Anything is possible. It's true. Although I go with the John Oliver thing. If somebody Pirates of the Caribbean Five, did anyone really ask? Yes. Yeah. But if someone had said to me, like after the second Fast film. If someone said to me we'd have seven Saw movies, I never would have believed you. Exactly, yeah. But uh, um, speaking of a bit of casting news we had last week, it was a rumour last week has now come to fruition, uh, Murder on the Orient Express. Oh my God, yeah. This is all, this cast, cast is so cast. good. Hell of a cast. Wow. So Kenny Branagh's... Uh, Kay Bray. Kay Bray's yeah. directing and starring as, uh, as, as, as Herc Poirot and uh, your boy Herc. And... <laughs> <clears throat> And as uh, as as these passengers on the Orient Express, we're gonna have Judy Dench. Mm. We're gonna have Derek Jacobi. Mm. We're gonna have Daisy Ridley. Can I just say, of course, Derek Jacobi is gonna be. Of course he is. <laughs> of course, of course he is. Um, I, do you know? I, I I almost would like push for for Toby Jones, except he did the TV version with David Suchet. Yes, he did. Yeah. Um, you're also gonna have uh, Michelle Pfeiffer. And Johnny Depp as Mr. Ratchet. He apparently is the last holdout. They want him for Mr. Ratchet. And this is the part that I find more amusing than anything. They apparently have swapped out one of the characters and written in a new one, who is going to be a Cuban character, played by Mr. Michael Peña, y'all. Yes. Oh, my God, that's awesome. So good. Oh. Did you say with Daisy Ridley as well? Did Daisy Ridley, yeah. yeah. It's... So they excellent, say, excellent. So they say there's been like a murder on the winning express, and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> And also, uh, Leslie Odom Jr. Oh, that's the one from I Hamilton. Yes. Yeah. Uh, he's playing the one that uh, Daisy Ridley fancies. Yeah, uh, yeah, Dr. Constantine. That's it. Thank you. Yeah. I can never remember the name of the character. I don't know if his first name is John. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, Speaking of, uh, Keanu Reeves apparently is debuting some footage this weekend from John Wick 2. Oh, we're, oh, so, we're at uh, New York Comic Con. New York Comic Con, yeah, which means sense. there's going to be a Power Rangers trailer, hopefully. Hopefully. About time. Well, we might get the John Wick trailer as well. I think we will. We, had, we nice. had the poster. Do we have the poster job? Yes, we, we did. had the poster. Wick, yeah. And we had a yeah. picture of him and his new dog. We did. Have you seen the tagline for uh, for the poster, by the way? No. What is Bulletproof. It? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so happy. I can't wait. I, can't I really wait. can't wait. I'm just happy Ian McShane's coming back for John Wick Chapter 2. That makes me happy. I saw a really terrible tagline earlier for uh, a film called Sleepless that's coming out. Jamie Foxx. Oh, I've seen an image from it. What's the tagline? Oh, I'm going to try and find out what it is. <laughs> oh, all right. Go on. He's he's a cop in a world of dirty cops. He's yeah, a, he's an undercover cop. Okay. The tagline is: Don't judge a cop by his cover. <laughs> <laughs> 
so good. Uh, was it was it the man with the iron fist that says they put the f you in Kung, Kung, Kung Fu? Kung Fu. That is my favorite tagline of any. Song. So good. So good. Oh man. Uh, uh, <clears throat> we got we got some bad news though for uh, <laughs> s- someone we both quite like, I think, which is uh, poor Terry Gilliam. And oh my god! Yeah. This ongoing saga. Of of the man who killed Don Quixote, it's yeah. been delayed again because apparently a, as he puts it, a Portuguese, Portuguese chap, chap who promised him the funding has welched. Was this just some guy he met in a bar? Yeah, and he was just like, "I'll I'll give you some." Do you know what? I think Terry. after all these years, Terry Gilliam just got to that stage where he's just meeting people. Was look, can I have some money for a film, please? I know you're good for it. Just 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 help me make this movie. Hmm. And yeah, so poor Adam Driver and Michael Palin that sat around. Yeah, uh, and Michael Palin's got stuff you know on his mind. Yes, he does. Yeah. So yeah, that sucks. All right, all right I'll give you another bit of film news then about uh, my favorite movie star of the week, Mr. Gibson. Uh, he signed up for uh, <laughs> a film by uh, Benjamin Roche called Every Other Weekend. He is going to play the grandfather in a multi generational action adventure comedy. Right. The idea it's is not too many of them. No. So the idea is the father has claimed he is a CIA agent when in reality he's the tech support guy. He's the IT man. He takes cool. his son on a uh, father-son trip to Paris, and there's a whole accidental spy riff. They find themselves on the run from terrorists. Mel Gibson is going to play the grandfather, who, get this, is an actual CIA agent. So this could be quite mm-hmm. fun. Yeah. I feel like that's going to be one of those, hey, hey, star power kind of cameo kind of a roles. Yeah. You know, like Statham in uh, Spy kind of a thing. Yeah. Like that with Gibson. It's like, can you believe what we got this person? Yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. I feel like that's kind of what happens. Yeah. So final review of the week, then. Let's talk about The Governor, <laughs> which is uh, Paul Van Carter's documentary about the life of Lenny McLean. McLean? McLean. Lenny McLean. I don't know who he is, so I can't possibly You comment. do, actually, believe it or not. He Remember Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels? I do. I like the film a lot. He's Barry the Baptist. No way, really. Yeah. If you don't want to be counting the fingers, you haven't got. I suggest you get those guns. Sharpish. <laughs> As good as an impression that is, yeah. that could have just been Ray Winston. Could have been, couldn't it? Could yeah, have it really could have been. But that was his voice. So this is a documentary that follows around his son, Jamie, his his only son, um, as he basically chronicles his dad's life and tries to get to know the man behind the name, really. Just takes, takes us from uh, Lenny McLean's, uh, you know, his humble origins to, you know, becoming the governor, a.k.a. the hardest man in Britain. We have a clip. You can imagine the pot of boiling water, and it's always simmering. It's ready to boil. Lenny McLean is like a dog. He's going to come back and bite you. He got involved in unlicensed boxing, thinking I might as well go straight to the top. Roy Shaw, he was certified insane. Lenny McLean. bang wallop. That's why they call me Daddy Cole. Look at me. So, third documentary out this week. So, there's you know, notably not a lack of documentary materials out there. The problem is, you know, when you've got things like we live in a you know post Senna, post Amy, post uh, you know Adam Curtis kind of a world. We're used to stylized documentaries. Um, here is a Channel Five documentary, and it doesn't amount to an awful lot more than it. Um, the problem is the material simply isn't there. Like. The film takes a stand very early on about, uh, you know, Lenny McLean, that that he, you know, he's on the side of the angels, even though, you know, acting like the devil to do it. Um, the stuff in there that they get Guy Ritchie at one point, for instance, talk to Jason Fleming. Jason Fleming instantly tells the single greatest story about Lenny McLean. They shared a trailer, did you know, when filming Lockstock? Lockstock yeah. And uh, it, it does lead to a moment of intimidation that you, you just kind of <laughs> love. Um First of all, 
it's not directed with any more ambition than the, the idea of a Channel 5 documentary. Um, the material simply isn't there. The depths that it should go into in terms of really getting under the skin of its subject, it seems quite afraid to. It's got this awful, awful score to it all mm. that is just, it's like it's dedicated to drowning out everyone speaking. At one point, Vaz Blackwood from Lockstock uh, turns up. Uh, Roy Breaker from Lockstock. Remember with the, with the crazy afro? Yeah. <laughs> he, that actor turns up and you can't hear a word he said because the score is just drowning him out entirely. I have no idea what he said. He had a smile on his face, so I assume it was positive. But I, you know, for for all I know, decide for what it was. Yeah, for all I know, Lenny McLean beat him up for his pin number. But I wouldn't know that because I couldn't hear a word the man said. <laughs> you know, um, it's one it's one of those films that you just sit and think we've got a fictionalized version of this coming out next year. You know, Josh Hellman from X Men. I do. Play Stryker. He's yeah. playing uh, Len McLean in an actual biopic. Okay. And you come out and think, that's got to have more depth to it than this does. Yeah, because, more interesting. Yeah. yeah. Why not just wait for it? Just wait for that. I mean, this is you know very limited theatrical that's some weird release. And he does look like him. He looks like really? him when he's younger. Um, fascinating bit of uh, sort of you know quirky twist of fate for you. Uh, one of Leonard McLean's sort of uh, initial, you know, moments of the limelight, he fought uh, Ray Sh- Roy Shaw in an in an unlicensed boxing match. Mm. They're actually now, as of this week, making a biopic about him. Cool. So, oh, quirky thing. We're yeah. going to get both fighters are going to have biopics in the next couple of years. That'd be a good uh, double bill when they're out as well. Would be as well, wouldn't it? Because that same fight. Well, you know what they should do? Just get Josh Hellman to cameo as Lenny McLean. And have it be like an intersection crossover point for the pair. That would be, that would be quite clever. That would be great, yeah. You know, it's like when Jason Statham turns up at the beginning of Collateral and you think, wait, he's dressed as he is in, in, in Cellular, so these movies happen in the same world. I forgot he was even in that. As the Cellular character. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, the character. Shared universes, man. I think, yeah, that's the, I think the, I'm not sure if Cellular's meant to have, no, Cellular happens after Collateral. Yeah. That's the whole point. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, kind of interesting. But uh, I didn't rate it. You know, I, I really oh, didn't. Yeah. I, I feel like... It's an interesting subject matter, just not good execution. Yeah, I feel like he needed better for that. Yeah. Uh, Andrea Jolie's doing a, 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 a true story movie. She's actually going to star in her first sort of action-centric movie for six years. It's Sin good. Salt? Was that... Sin Salt was and... That what was the other one? There was Salt and something else that year, and I can't remember offhand. Yeah, sure. It's going to be called Shoot Like a Girl. Cool. Good title. It is, yeah. yes, and he's based on the memoir of the same name. I forget the name of the helicopter pilot who served in uh, the U.S. Armed Forces and was instrumental in bringing about uh, a change of military policy so that women were actually allowed to serve on the front line. Wow. And she's going to be AJ, yo. Yeah. Oh, That's gonna cool. Be, yeah, it's going to be interesting. Zac Maybe Efron I'm... is going to star in and produce a movie called Straight to Hell. Do you know what this is about? Straight to no. Hell is a is based on a novel of the same name that was written about uh, the bankers of uh, Goldman Sachs, right? And it was right. based entirely on conversations overheard in their elevator. Wow. And yeah, yeah. So when the book came out, Goldman Sachs apparently were absolutely outraged and actually began an investigation into how did this information get leaked? Yeah. Who's been hanging around in our lifts? And yeah, so expect something kind of akin to Wolf of Wall Street, like that with mm. with Zac Efron. I That's could, not a bad thing. I could see that working. I could totally see that. Yeah. Yeah. So would he 
sort of be playing a Jordan Belforti type. <laughs> I hope and so. I really hope so. That'd be that would be awesome. That'd be good it? to see. Yeah. Yeah, I'd be intrigued by that. Yeah. You got anything else for me over there? Uh, yeah, a couple of couple of little pieces, nothing huge, but um, uh, Ocean's uh, Eight. Oh, Ocean's Eight has yeah. a release date. It's got a release date. Yeah, uh, the eighth of June, two thousand eighteen, which seems quite the eighth of June, two thousand eighteen. Yeah. Okay, so they're going with the eight. Okay, cool. Yeah. Hang it, they're calling it Ocean's Eight now, not Ocean's Ocho anymore. Exactly. Okay, fair yeah. enough. I'll go with that. That's fine. Maybe it's going to get bumped into August as well, so it's just eighth of the eighth, eighteen. Uh, Gavin O'Connor, the director of Warrior. Yeah. Apparently he said, yeah, we've yeah, got yeah. ideas for a sequel. I've been talking to Tom Hardy and Joel Edgerton about them. It might happen. I think that might be something that goes to Netflix, because he's just got a show commission with Netflix. Has I, can't he? Remember, I can't remember what it's called, but he's he's doing something with Netflix. Netflix are getting all the best filmmakers. They now. really are, aren't they? Yeah, I still need to watch that Joe Swanberg show. Oh, Easy. Easy, yeah, I still need to check it out. It was very interesting. The uh, Bizarrely, the uh, uh, Orlando Bloom episode turned out to be the better one. But Who'd have thunk it? I know, who'd have thunk it? Yeah. Something with Orlando Bloom in was actually half decent. I know, and he's going back in Paris 5, so maybe it's not going to be. Oh good. no, is he? He is. I've forgotten that. He is indeed, but Javier Bardem is playing a spooky ghost. So You know what? I can I can totally live with that. I'm I'm sold on Spooky Ghost Bardem. <laughs> See, that's what we need. We need Javier Bardem as a Scooby Doo villain. Is is just that's the ultimate thing, right there. Can you imagine someone taking off his face? <laughs> <laughs> they take off his face. It's Michael Shannon underneath, grimacing. I mean, it's Benicio del Toro. It's just increasingly grimacing guys underneath one at a time. But uh, yeah. oh, there's a moment, by the way, in Bloodfather. Uh, that made me. It got a weird laugh in the cinema. <laughs> it was very strange. <laughs> They're being hunted by a hitman, and Mel Gibson says, "Oh, that guy, he's a Sicario." Everybody laughed. That movie has scarred us all. <laughs> and you all were just like, "Ah, get that." Yeah, it's one of those things. But I'm glad Mel Gibson's back. You know, if Mad Max is back, we can have Mel Gibson back. That's how I feel about it. Hey, but I'll, on I'll wait hand. until I see this film, then Ben Hacksaw Ridge. And then wait until he like hugs a rabbi, and then I might feel better. I don't think any rabbi is ever letting Mel Gibson hug them, but maybe uh... a handshake. And you know what? We should be grateful to Mel Gibson for one thing, because even in his darkest hour, he was still thinking of us. You know how I know that? Oh. Because he gave us the term sugar. <laughs> Only a man with a pure heart would do that to us. Sugar definitely was around before he came up with it. I'm sure it was around, but he popularized it. It's like conscious uncoupling. I'm sure it was around before, but we have we owe Gwyneth for giving us that. I don't know. I think you have to be a certain specimen of up your own arseness like going to Paltrow to come up with that term. Conscious uncoupling. Isn't she one of John Oliver's favourite targets? Yeah. He's going, and I'm looking at you, Gwyneth. Oh, just, have you have you seen the clip of when she wins an Oscar? No. I have not. She, she just, she, she's crying and babbling and stuff. And oh, she's she's thanking everyone and then the camera pans to her mum, Blythe Dana, and Blythe Dana's like I brought you into the world. What was I doing with my vagina? Why did I let you come into the world? Like, she looks genuinely ashamed to be a mom. <laughs> we still haven't quite solved the mystery, by the way, of whether or not Jake Paltrow, who's one of the directors of uh, De Palma, is yeah. Gwyneth's... Yes. Is yes. he? Yes. yes. He's Gwyneth's brother? Brother. Ah, fair enough. Yeah. Okay, well, mystery solved. Oh, which note, here it is. Your moment of cage. I have been searching a very long time Magically, here you are. That ring on your finger means something, Dave. It means you're going to be a very important sorcerer one day. And your first lesson begins right now with your very own Incantus. 
not move. Do not touch anything. 